0: Oh shit I'm Tommy Salmons This is Year Zero This week I have brand new Published author Of Project Manicore, Ryan Bunting What's going on, Ryan?
1: Uh, Not too much Same old, same old Just uh, getting ready to move on Monday So everything's all crazy right now My house looks like a fucking Storage warehouse but other than that, everything's good.
0: And your new house will look like a storage warehouse for the next six months. So, Probably, yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Those, uh, getting, getting all that shit, I, Beatrix and I still haven't gotten our entire house totally situated, and we've been there for four years. So, you know, it happens. So
1: it's the nature of the
0: beast. Ain't it? You're like, God, where did all this shit come from? When did I buy this? <laughs> well, sometimes you find some gems too. You're like, Oh fuck. I forgot about this. Yep. 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 <laughs> <laughs> where are you moving to? You want to disclose that?
1: Uh yeah. I'm i uh, I'm moving to Delaware. I'm finally getting out of, uh, getting out of New Jersey. I'll still be able to commute to work and all that, but better gun laws, better tax rates. Uh, about a tenth of the population, which is a huge bonus. So it'll be nice, a little quieter, a little more private.
0: Yeah, I was just telling somebody the other day, like um, being a truck driver, I love driving up in the in the Northeast in the fall. Um, and Delaware is always one of my favorite states to drive through. It's so it's so small. We never delivered there, but I drove through mm-hmm. it a few times, you know. So yeah. yeah, yeah, it's really it's really pretty up there. I really like it. So, uh, but man, you know why I quit doing that though? You know what they did to me is they would, they would wait until fucking November and then they would send me, uh, from Chicago to, uh, to upstate New York and the route you take, you have to go through, uh, Erie, Pennsylvania up 90. Oh uh, yeah. Oh man. And it was brutal. Driving, you're going like ten miles an hour, the roads are frozen, you can't see anything, white out conditions, you can't exit. Yeah, you got snowbank six foot up. You're like, Man, this is fucking shit. I ain't doing this no more. You know? (laughs) So
1: Yeah. My my brother's in the mountains of Pennsylvania and it's it's a fucking nightmare.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, and you're right there on the coast too, going up ninety, you're right on the coast of uh of Lake Erie. Mm -hmm. So you're getting all of that all of that moisture coming off the lake. And it's frozen. Mm-hmm. It's just nasty. I hated it. I that was always, I always dreaded the winners up there.
1: Yeah, they're not fun.
0: <laughs> Pretty disgusting. I don't see how I always say that people didn't choose to live there. They were, they were sentenced.
1: <laughs> like,
0: like paying penance for the sins of their fathers.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm born and raised in New Jersey. That's basically like being born in a fucking prison colony. I just <laughs> finally earned my way out of this place. Yeah.
0: Well, well, I'm happy for you, man. I, I hope Delaware is kind to you.
1: So far, it has been.
0: Oh, that's good. And I'm not even
1: living there yet, so give yeah, gives hope, me hope.
0: Well, you'll have some. you have more, like you said, more space and everything. you'll That's one thing about, well, you get out into the, the country of Jersey and it's really pretty actually, when you get into the, uh,
1: the, the, the more, uh, rural areas. South, South tip. Yeah. Yeah. The Southern areas. like, once you get like Vineland and past that, it gets really open. It's like farmland. That's kind of one of the things that I do like about this state is that we have like the metropolitan area outside of Philly. That's like cool because you have all kinds of like food and shopping and shit like that. But you can go 20 minutes down White Horse Pike or Black Horse Pike and it's like farmland. Yeah. You get that, you get like the best of, of rural, suburban, and urban all in one place.
0: But you know, you pay the highest
1: fucking property taxes in the country for it.
0: Oh, do you? Oh yeah, I, I never thought I, I never
1: thought we would make we would make California look better in any way. But yeah, we pay the, we pay even more than California. Jesus. It's ridiculous.
0: All right, well, we're talking about Jersey, and that was that was a really cool part of your book. Is that a lot of mm-hmm. it takes place in Jersey, and um, one of my favorite mm-hmm. one of my favorite authors. I'm a I'm really into horror more than I am sci fi. But I was really impressed mm-hmm. with your book, and I must say, all right, so your book and i don't know if you've ever read this guy but it, the pacing was so so page turning that it, there was every chapter was kind of like a cliff's edge i was ready for the next you know interaction that was going to take place there was a lot of action that took place i really enjoyed it it reminded me of edward lee i don't know if you're familiar with edward lee but he was a he's a horror or was a horror author he wrote, wrote like 20 or 30 books and it reminded me a lot of his style of writing his pacing. And I really enjoyed that. But um, Robert McCammon used to always write because he was from Louisiana. And so he would always place his books in, in the South and uh, because he was real familiar with it. So I thought that was a really uh, smart way to approach it was to approach the, the area that you're familiar with and that you grew up in. And so, what what led you? Tell us the story behind Project Manicor.
1: Absolutely, um, yeah. The the pacing was inspired by um, Andre Sapkowski. He's the author of the Witcher books, and I just recently finished the main series of the Witcher books, um, and. He, he very much writes in that style, and I loved that. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't dawdle. He doesn't linger on insignificant details. You know, he describes things enough so that the reader can conjure the image, and then the, the action continues, the story continues. And I really wanted to translate that to my own uh, book because I was like, I liked reading that. So I should hope that other people would like reading that way as well. And then, uh, just like you said, you know, I had it take place between Jersey and Philly because that's this is the area I know, and I felt like I could make the characters realistic and representative of people you would encounter here. Right. And the and the the idea for this came from a dream I had in um, April of 2019, where. I had had an anxiety attack right before bed, which is kind of when that tends to happen. Uh, So I took a half of Xanax and went to sleep. And Xanax is, is apparently my muse because I always have the most banging fucking dreams when I go to sleep on this stuff. So I woke up at like quarter after four in the morning, and I was like, damn, that dream was so awesome. I typed it into my phone, and I was like, man, that would make a great book. Somebody should write a book like that. That would be sweet. And then the months went by, and then it's like December 2019. and I'm like, all right, it's me. I'm the guy that needs to write it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, you could figure out. Like, you're, so waiting, I, you're <laughs> waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting. You're like, why is nobody asking me about this dream so they can write a book about it? <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. Somebody,
0: somebody has to take initiative in this situation.
1: <laughs> yep. So I slammed a couple back and started putting words on paper.
0: Yeah, well, and one of the one of the best parts, and I have a I have a friend of mine who wrote a trilogy called Gray Areas, and uh, it's a interesting uh, kind of mystery suspense um, trilogy that he wrote a few years back. He's a he's a good uh good author. His name's uh, Brad Carl, and you you had a a lot of the same approach that he had um, in developing characters, which I. I find an interesting way to develop characters and I like it a lot is you developed your characters through their dialogue. You knew who these people were by how they were talking to each other, like their personalities Mm -hmm. and and this, that, and the other. You didn't, like you said, you didn't dawdle. You didn't overly dramatize. You got directly to the point and, but you made it very clear who each of these characters were through dialogue. And I really enjoy that. That aspect of your story, because it kept it moving very quickly, because you could hear these people talking.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, these the characters in the books. You know, each one of them has a little bit of me in them, but you know, some of them have my friends' personalities or people that I've met, their personalities. They're they're all based on people that I have met and known for decades. So when I was writing the dialogue, I was like, How would how would they talk about this? How would we talk about this? How would we react to being in, you know, a dangerous coercive situation? Right. So I wanted to make sure that the dialogue wasn't. Um, like unnatural, you know, books tend to get like a little exposition-y with dialogue. And sometimes they just, they don't sound human. They sound kind of robotic, you know, they're not going to be like, darn guys, we need to get off of this island. They're going to be like, dude, we need to get the fuck out of here. And I wanted to really convey that kind of that tone and, and that speaking style to every character in every situation.
0: Right. And people well, and people don't talk grammatically correct. And I, I think that's what a lot exactly. of writers fail to realize or, or fail to take. It's like they spend too much time making the dialogue so grammatically correct. You're like, I would never speak like that. It's not how I talk. You know? <laughs> As, yeah. I hate that. I hate it when I run into books like that where it's like, this guy's not talking like a real human. You know, or when I, even with podcasts, I listen to some podcasts and you can tell when they script the podcast. Because they're it, yeah, they're it's, it's like I know I write much clearer than I speak. When I speak, I stumble mm-hmm. over words. I have to think about exactly how I want to say things. When I when I'm reading something, it's like duh du. You know, it's, it's like you said, real robotic. Mm-hmm. And so you can tell when somebody spends too much time worried about the grammar of the dialogue rather than the humanity of the dialogue
1: yeah and that was like that was a really big thing is like you know they wouldn't say like oh i'm going to go get a drink they're like i'm gonna go get a drink because that's they're like yo i'm gonna go grab a drink or i'm gonna go have a smoke you know they talk quick that's that's how we speak in, in this area where, you know, where I'm at, we're basically a, a, a suburb of Philadelphia. So we have like, we have the whole like Delaware County, Philly, South Jersey thing going on. We all have this bastardized amalgamation that we call English and you know, yeah, we don't, we, we don't speak all prim and proper like that. So I wanted to, I wanted to convey not only the human aspect of how they speak, but also the regional aspect.
0: Right. Yeah. And, and being from, you know, the South being from Louisiana and Texas, I had no issues, you know, with it. I I thought it was, it was very, I could relate to these people. You know, I, it wasn't, they were, they weren't foreign to me. I, I was, I was, Mm -hmm. it was very easy for me to relate to him. And so I found that interesting. Now I I have met some guys being on the road. I've met some guys from Philly and they do have their own slang there. And I was surprised that none of those words popped up.
1: Yeah. I, I thought about slipping a John in there, but I was like, man, (laughs) you know, at this point we, we use it to the point where it's it's fucking satire. You know, I'll be like, yeah, let me see that John. And it's like, I normally would never use that slang, but I've heard it, and the rest of the country got wind of it, and they're like, what is a John? And it's like, it's fucking anything. <laughs> so I, I decided not to, but <laughs> I'm hoping the uh, just the overall tone and, and manner of speech kind of still conveyed that silly style. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, no, I, I mean, I got it. I, I could hear the accent, but and but it was a stronger accent than you have. It was It was more... Eric Sawyer's accent, if you know who he is, but, uh, (laughs) but he's from Boston. I mean, but that's what I relate to the Northeast, you know, so yeah. Yeah. But, um, okay. So here was one thing I I really enjoyed and as a writer, I know this was your first attempt at a book and it was, like I said, I really enjoyed it and I I enjoyed the pacing. Here's, here's one thing I, I am going to, I'm going to warn you of in probably three years in about three years. You're gonna to want to revisit it. You're gonna read this book again, and you're gonna want to you're gonna want to do some touch up on it, maybe extend it. Um, my buddy John Paul Allen, who's a who's an author, um, he he uh, he gets into he's done this with some of his books, and they always come out really 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 good, really relevant, and uh, he's able to expand them really well. So you're gonna to want to do that. But one thing I noticed when I came to the end of it is I was like, I want the action to keep going when they at, at the very end. I was expecting more action. I'm not going to give any spoilers. so I'm not going to tell you exactly what I'm talking about, but but I, I'm sure mm-hmm. you can imagine what, I, what I'm talking about. But um, I was I was expecting uh, a, a greeting at the at the end there and, and some more action to take place. And not that I was disappointed, but you did a great job of leaving me wanting more and looking for a second book. Yeah, and, and to see these characters develop even more.
1: Yeah, that was that was kind of the intention. Um the the epilogue was crafted uh on purpose, that way. Uh, and even how you mentioned earlier how the, the chapters end uh, kind of like cliffhangery, where it's like, fuck, I want to keep reading. That was 100% intentional. Um, I kind of wrote it almost as if it was like a mini series in my head. Right. Each chapter was like an episode. And I'm like, what do I want to happen? And what do I want to do to make the reader want to keep reading? And that was basically, that was basically how I, how I wrote it. You know, there's times where it's, you know, there's they, there's flashbacks to previous events, but even they tie into what's happening currently. So you're like, Oh fuck. And then you want to read more to find out what happens next. So that was all meticulously crafted by my drunken mind. Yeah. Well,
0: no, and it was good. Cause there was that one chapter where you had all, all the, uh, all the letters back and forth between the guy and his wife. And I thought that was a really, really mm-hmm. nice touch. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The
1: the one story that that she tells about um, her experience in North Korea is actually very closely based off of a, a, a an actual event uh, that someone described that was a defector from North Korea. And I I actually kind of I I hesitated to put it in there. I was like, man, I, I don't want to like. I was like, do I really want to put like such a harrowing, real experience in here? But then I was kind of like yeah I do because you know I want the reader to know that these these places are not um models they're not something to aspire to, and that mm. these kind of things happen all the time, and we don't hear anything about it because we don't hear anything from North Korea right The only time we do is when people defect and tell their stories on YouTube or what have you, and I happened to hear this one, and it was so heartbreaking that i I ultimately was like. I want to include it if if anything so that people become more cognizant that this kind of shit is happening right. that governments well, <laughs> strangely enough are evil.
0: Yeah. Yeah. all all over the world. And uh I know mm-hmm. you you mentioned in the in the uh in the note to the reader section at the very end after the epilogue um where you're where you're talking about you didn't want to over overly you didn't want to bludgeon people with your ideology and I think you did a great job of that. You, you touched some very, uh, very important points on the ideology, but you did Mm -hmm. so in a way that it's not like forcing it down people's throats and it gave, gave the, the characters a dimension to their thinking that sometimes you don't see a lot of times, which I, which I really appreciated. And you did a good job and I think you did a fair job in debunking the ideology, um, through the eyes of, of state actors as well, which I thought was really, really well, well constructed. It wasn't, it wasn't overly like, I'm just this evil bastard. You know, it was like, no, there's, there's actually a utilitarian argument to this.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, cause I, I, I first and foremost just wanted it to be a good book, you know, whether you're a libertarian or an anarchist or whatever you call yourself, it, even if you're a mainline statist, I want you to be able to read the book and just enjoy it for what it is—the story, the characters, the setting, all of that. So that was really my first goal. Um, obviously, I slipped the themes in for things that I feel passionate about. Mm-hmm. But I, instead of me just kind of writing it in there like freedom is better, blah, 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 I put the characters into situations that are representations of my ideals. And then, yeah, like you said, the one character. Um, who is kind of an antagonist, he, being a state actor, explains hit from his point of view, because two of the characters in the book are self-proclaimed anarchists, and he shuts them down as, you know, um, conspiracy theorists and, you know, chaotic actors in their own right, and he's like, yeah, I'm not going to sit here and listen to your propaganda, because I've got bigger things, you know. I'm doing this to... For the for the greater good of my country, and it's it, you kind of get that dichotomy of the two, and then the other two primary characters are like, what are these fucking whack jobs talking about? And you kind of get to see them go from anarchy, what, and then later on they're like, shit, I kind of get what I kind of get what they're on about. <laughs>
0: right? Yeah, not like not not complete conversion, but I I do kind of understand your your point of view here. It's it's uh, I'm 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 experiencing this you know horrible experience and i i'm kind of starting to see your point of view like oh okay but at the same time you have like you said the antagonist comes in and he's like look man i'm looking at the big picture here y'all are thinking of self-interest you know and and so he kind of he kind of slams the door on them in that way which i thought was an interesting exchange and i liked it I, i really appreciated that because i did think it was a fair assessment it wasn't like I said, it wasn't like you're trying to draw the guy as pure evil in his thinking and his thought process. You know, uh, despite you know his actions, his it, it kind of uh, gives a, a gray area to his actions and the reason he's acting the way he's acting.
1: So yeah, absolutely, because yeah, because that that character specifically, you know, he tries to be so very stern and stoic. But, you know, through the dialogue and through some of the events that happen, you know, you see him kind of break his own self-prescribed character where, like, he lets himself get a little angry when he tries to be the professional, I'm doing this for my country, I'm doing this for my government or what have you. And I, I thought that was it, was, it was a ton of fun to write. I, I honestly, I loved writing his whole character.
0: Yeah, yeah, he was, he was very... He, he had a, he had a lot of dimension to him. Um, and you know, it was just reading it. And that's what I always try whenever, like I was, I I was telling, talking to Beatrix and I'm, I'm framing out a a series that I want to, well, that I've kind of started drafting, but I haven't, it's definitely not anywhere near, you know, discussing. Um, but, but one of the things I, I want to do is I want the protagonist to have like despicable qualities like you know something that like you're on their side but not on that and not on that and i want the antagonist to have some very appealing qualities so i want to make it i like really, that really human and really hard for you to di- differentiate in your own mind who you want to relate with. who's the, who's the
1: real bad guy
0: right right so Um, it's, it's, I'm really trying to make it, uh, like full, you know, people, where you peeling back this, these layers of this, these individuals, and there's a lot of different things going on within their lives and within their minds. And so it's, uh, it makes it very difficult for you to choose a side. And so now you're, you're not only reading and relating to the individuals, but you're also trying to figure out, like, who is this guy? Like what, you know, what what is with this guy? And, and I thought with that character, you were able to encompass that. That it's not just like this purely evil antagonist, that there's more to him than that. And though you didn't get into grave detail about that, like you were able to witness that and kind of see and sense that from his interactions.
1: Yeah, i i definitely I definitely want to explore these characters some more, and I don't know whether it's going to be like prequel, interquel. I don't know, but in my in my second book, which uh, takes place in the same universe, mm-hmm. but this um, this this next book is taking place in a fictional town in Delaware, strangely enough, um, and it takes place during the two thousand eight um, housing market bubble. The, okay. the recession. Okay. And that that's going to play a role in things, but this one is like I said it's a little more horror um specifically like body horror and really bizarre surreal things, which is great because I get to just play with words mm-hmm. to describe this crazy shit happening, but there are there are little nods to um there's some nods to Manticore. There's some nods to characters from Manticore. Uh, so it's 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 exciting. I'm kind of doing like a um, almost like a Stephen King kind of thing where it's like, you know, you're reading one of Stephen King's books and it's just like, oh, they walked past a sign that said 20 miles to Derry, Maine or whatever. Right. And it's like, oh, Derry, yeah, from his other books. So I'm kind of doing like that kind of stuff because uh, right. I, I love I, I love to put in little. um little Easter eggs for people that choose to read more than one of the shit i write (laughs) (laughs)
0: right well and and you brought up the epilogue earlier and kind of what what i felt when i finished the epilogue i was like uh this is kind of going in a uh the man in the high castle direction you know and and so i could kind of see that that from the not the ow shit boogie sorry um (laughs) fucking (laughs) chewing on my hand dude (laughs) <laughs> um, I could kind of see that this kind of birth of like kind of a resistance movement or something like that being able to take place. and and so I, I thought that was, you know, that that left, like you said, it almost like a mini series like that leaves a lot to explore and to move forward with.
1: Yeah, that was and that was kind of the idea was to just like plant the seed because that's that was ultimately the goal of the um, the events in the epilogue was just planting the seed, getting the word out, as it were, and that's that's what it is. It's kind of like at the end of Watchmen when you know they drop off Rorschach's journal. It's just like get the get the news out there, see right. what see what people think, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's. Uh... That's really exciting. And, you know, I, I could see this, like you said, going in all kinds of directions and I think you could do a lot of things with these characters. So I think I'm, I'm interested to see where that goes and how that develops. And, uh,
1: yeah, I mean, so far I've been, I've been very lucky. I've gotten some pretty great feedback. Uh, people have been absolutely spectacular about, um, you know, just promoting it on Twitter or Facebook or whatever, and, uh, it's, it's really humbling. Honestly, I, I wasn't expecting to sell maybe more than 10 or 20 and it's, it's been doing pretty well for, you know, my expectations. If I sell a hundred, if I sell a hundred copies, I'll make back what it costs me to get the cover designed and ISBNs and all that stuff. I'll be happy with that. Well, <laughs> Anything good. beyond that is just wonderful.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I hope you sell much more than that. Um, I, I think it's I think it's like I said, I think it's a very good introduction book um, for your first novel and all that. I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I felt that it read really well. Um, I was it was accessible. So other than a little bit of language, which, you know, I think was necessary. Like you like you have mentioned, it. you're in a high stress environment and so you're not going mm-hmm. to be all flowery and, you know, Oh shucks um this isn't leave it to beaver world so
1: yeah because i i actually when i first started writing it i actually rewrote a portion of i think at the time like the second or third chapter to because i was like man it's like is it being too vulgar but i was like i i rewrote it as a trial and it just it sounded terrible it right. sounded like a fucking like a like a fucking episode of Veggie Tales, and I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna stick. I'm just gonna stick to what I know. I have been working with truck drivers for over a decade, um, so yeah. I, I I learned the language. <laughs> I learned the language uh, between between living in the state I've been living in for thirty years and for. Working with truck drivers for a decade, I, yeah, that's that's the language I speak.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, anybody who listens to my podcast is definitely not going to be offended by the language used in in your book because I don't I don't ever hold back. I've been driving truck since I was twenty three years old, and prior to that, I was in the oil field and in the army. So um, I, was, I was oh yeah yeah I was <laughs> I was I was in infantry too. So I just I, I don't even know how to hold back most of the time. Uh, (laughs) it's like there's no other word than fuck for this fucking situation you know what i'm saying
1: exactly exactly
0: (laughs) what do you want me to tell you (laughs) but but i hope man i hope you get some sales here i'll 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 definitely link um i'll put a link an amazon link do you uh would you rather me link to your website or to the amazon link
1: you can link you can link uh directly to the the amazon link um If you wanna, if you wanna put the website up there as well, you can.
0: It's just not. Doesn't matter. RyanBunting
1: Yep, straightforward and easy.
0: Yeah, I'll make sure I will put both, um, and it'll be awesome. Up, Thank it'll you. It'll be up on the Libertarian Institute, so hopefully you get some get some good good views and get some sales going on. But
1: I yeah, hope, hope so.
0: we've I hope we've covered enough of the book because I want to talk to you about some other stuff too. I hope we've covered enough of the book to get yeah, absolutely get people. Uh, interested in at least taking a look at it and putting it on their bookshelf. So, I yeah. want, I'm ready for a couple of anarchists to solve the world's problems. So, like, let's see what we can do here uh, to make things worse. Hell yeah! Um,
1: let's fix the world.
0: Yeah, that's that's what we're all about, right? <laughs> that's what we spend all our time thinking about. Um, I I wrote an article, and you shared it, and I've gotten some mixed reviews about it. And I want to talk. Uh, my whole point that I was trying to to bring forward was was uh, the Rothbardian idea of of a uh, competitive, uh, free market solutions to the police problem. Mm-hmm. And and I've had a a lot of conservatives reject that. So what do you think is is a is a fair way for anarchists to kind of take this, this position of yeah, what the left is saying about defunding the police and abolishing the police isn't uh, uh, completely um, insane and how do we transform that idea into a way that conservatives can accept it?
1: Yeah, it's a tough one. It's a tough one because conservatives tend to they tend to gravitate towards, they, they appeal to authority a lot. Mm. So they've been told that police have authority. They have been told in government schools to respect the law, not morality, but the law. And because of that, it's a really hard sell because when you say defund the police, they're like, oh, what? So we're just supposed to have nothing? No no, no, no authority? It'll just, it'll just be chaos. And it's, it's, a really, it's a really hard one to tackle. Because yeah, like you try to explain privatized policing, privatized rights enforcement, mm-hmm. and they tend to they tend to reject it outright because they're like, well, there's no state authority to govern it. And then I try to explain to them how private courts would work, and they tend to reject that too. But then it's like we already have regional law, you know, yeah. the, the window tint laws in. Philadelphia are different than the window tint laws and say like Alabama.
0: Right.
1: You know, we, if you move anywhere in the continental U S you're going to have different law based on where you live. All I'm suggesting is that we break that down even further so that maybe each county has different laws. You know, maybe, maybe Burlington County in New Jersey doesn't really give a shit whether you wear a seatbelt or not. And maybe they don't see that as a crime and maybe there's, Another county that Mm. Uh, does—that's—that would be my thing—is you know first and foremost minimize the scope, you know, because I mean even years ago, police used to be they—they lived where they worked, and it was usually a town or a city or a county, and like they knew people, so when they got a call, it was like oh yeah I'm heading over to Jimmy's house. What's happening? Oh I don't know him and his wife are arguing, and then. You know, police weren't back then at least raised and trained to act as if every situation is like, someone trying to kill them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean the i mean police officers nowadays are like pit bulls that have been beaten since birth. I mean of course they're gonna be angry and mean and they're gonna think every single person and thing is a threat because they're told that at at a traffic stop for somebody blowing a stoplight it's like they probably have a gun and they're going to kill you. So that's why they walk up with their hands on their pistol. And it's like, dude, are you kidding me right now?
0: Yeah. And
1: well, the and war on police is ironically caused by themselves.
0: Right. And there there's just this idiocy about how people look at it, you know, because, you know, I see, I keep seeing these, well, if you haven't done anything wrong, then the police won't mess with you. I'm like, unfortunately, that's not how it goes. That's absolutely not how it goes. That's I remember thought re- crime. Yeah, I, I remember one time, man. I re- I remember one time I was I was I nineteen. I was think I was like nineteen years old, and I'm driving through uh, out of Rosenberg, heading heading towards Katy. So I'm on, and, and this is these are smaller areas around Houston. And a Rosenberg cop pulls me over for some bullshit, which I shouldn't even have been pulled over for, but I won't even get into that. He pulls me over, and I tell him, no, dude, this is fucking bullshit. And he goes, well, I need you to sign the ticket. I said, I'm not going to sign the ticket. So he pulled his gun on me. And I'm like, what the fuck? You're pulling me your gun because I won't sign a fucking piece of paper? Like, you're an idiot. You know, you're an asshole. <laughs> it's, just, it's just fucking retarded. Like, why would, why would you pull a gun because somebody refuses to take your pen and sign a piece of paper? No. That's ridiculous. That that should be the last thing he thought of was to go for his gun in that situation. And I was just like, whatever, dude. Absolutely. I was like, we'll just sit here then. And I was like, well, are you going to shoot me because I refuse to do something that like means nothing? And he's like, fine, just take it. And he threw the it, ticket at me. And I was like, all right, fine. <laughs> bye. You know? It made no sense whatsoever. And I got it dismissed anyway. I called the court like the next week and got it dismissed. I was like, this is ridiculous. So it it makes no sense that they approach such a, such a situation, you know, to where you're just like, no, I don't want to do that. And they, they approach it as if you've just threatened their life.
1: Yeah, by, by by what? Refusing to pay a, a, a $25 seatbelt ticket or some shit? It's, yeah. It's, it's madness. And, and this is just – it's something that has happened over years. It especially kicked up with, like, the war on drugs mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, the legislation that allowed police to get military surplus. Um, I was listening to – I believe it was uh, the Biting the Bullet podcast, and those guys are all vets. Yeah. And they were saying, you know, when you put on – your fucking plate carrier, your helmet, and you're geared to the fucking teeth, you're in the mindset of somebody geared to the fucking teeth. Yeah. So, you know, when these cops are doing these no-knock raids and they're geared to the teeth, they're in kill mode. They're not in ask questions. They're not in announce themselves mode. They are in fucking kill mode. So that's why you have your Duncan Lampshire your Breonna Taylors, because it puts you into a mindset. Right. So even with their 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 blue uniform and their badge, it gives them this sense of superiority that they are above the rest of the citizenry that and they're told that they're doing this for your own good, for their town's own good i mean you can you can be told something enough times until you start to believe it That's why these guys you know like my town the 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 most common crime is probably the local Walmart gets shoplifted or something yeah. But they're still told that it's like you know you're out there you're protecting the streets you're risking your life you are not risking your life in this barely diverse fucking suburb, dude. Believe me, you're you're gonna get you're gonna get a phone call about somebody's dog barking at fucking eleven o'clock at night. You're gonna get a call about well, I'll just I don't shoot know the dog. So that, yeah, yeah, you're I'll gonna like... get a call about somebody with like a fire pit that that you don't know if they got the permits for like really nothing life threatening is happening around here with any kind of regularity, but they still have the mentality because they are told they're basically groomed to be on the defensive at any given moment. And I just, I don't think that that's going to, I don't think that's going to change.
0: Well, and I've told the story many times on the podcast, but I've I gotten a conversation with a, a former cop. He was a, he was a retired officer. He had been a police officer for 30 years. And I'd gotten in a conversation with him on Facebook. And I was like, look, man, you're looking at it all wrong. I was like, you're you're treating citizens as as combatants. And he kept referring, he he always referred to any citizen that he interacted with as an insurgent. And I'm like, well, yeah, you're you're trained to believe that we're enemies. You're not a member of yeah. the same society as us. You're a ruler of the society, not a member of the society. And as long as you look at us as insurgents or enemy combatants or whatever you want to say, then, yeah, it's going to the interactions you're going to have are not going to be pleasant you know, because people don't want to be viewed that way. They don't want to be talked to that way. They don't want to be treated that way. And then you brought up the biting the bullet podcast, and I did hear that uh, specific interaction but the first thing I thought of when they were when they were saying that was well why do why does the military when they get all geared up and they're ready for combat why are they more restrained than the police see that's the thing yeah. most of the military members that they're talking about getting all geared up and getting in this mindset are 18, 19 they can, 20 they years can be, old
1: they can be getting shot at and they can't return fire until they have a clear direct order to. Right. A but, friend of mine was in OIS and like him and his buddies were getting shot at. And they're like, can we return fire? And they're like, no. Yeah, <laughs> so they were like, just sitting there getting shot at for like an extended period of time. Right.
0: And, and, my, and my whole thing is these are kids. These are 17, 18, 19, oh, 20 yeah. year old kids. And you're talking about a 35 or 40 year old police officer doesn't have the the wherewithal that a 18 19 or 20 year old kid has you know like i'm just like you know this is ridiculous and it's the way yeah. that it's the the way the job is framed for the officers they're they're being taught that the you know civilians are insurgents i mean how often is it that lists come out of these you know that that state that fucking military or former military, uh, vets are now considered terrorists and this, that, and the other. And you're like, what is going on, man? Like I'm yeah. not even like a advent uh, you know, supporter of the military. And it's not because of the soldiers, it's usually because of the policies, but I mm-hmm. mean, come on, you know, <laughs> you can't just be treating everybody as if they are enemy combatant, then suddenly you're going to end up with with the same situation you had in the sixties where citizens are going to start really truly fighting back, not just riots, but they're going to be really truly fighting back. You're going to have armed citizen patrols fighting against armed police officers, you know, and that'll be, that's when things will really take a, a horrible turn. And the thought should be that we should be avoiding that at, you know, all by all means necessary, you know, not, Going home at night, by all means necessary, which uh, as far as the police union in Minneapolis is concerned, that is the cop's first job is to go home at night. So that there's that. Yep. So I guess if you're if you were taught to believe that your first job is to go home at night and that you're facing enemy combatants all day long, then I guess you'd be shooting people, too.
1: Yeah and And, I mean, you know you and I know this, and you know the the anarchist community knows this that the reason that police officers see people like that not only because they're they're groomed like that, but because we are not their customers,
0: yeah. they
1: are customers of the state, they are right. customers of the ruling class of the politicians. they enforce legislation that legislation oftentimes is um victimless actions it's oftentimes arbitrary, seatbelt, seatbelts. Who gets harmed if you don't wear a seatbelt and you get into an accident? Nine times out of 10, you do. If your body flies out the window and damages someone's property, congratulations. You've now committed a crime that you're responsible for because you're flinging corpse damage somebody else's stuff. But robbing people at gunpoint, as you said in your anecdote earlier, where a guy literally pulled a gun on you an officer pulled a gun on you for not signing the ticket. Tell me, tell me that this isn't about revenue and that this is about safety.
0: Right.
1: And that's, that's, that's where our problem resides, you know? And and the other thing is that, uh, you know, you you've probably heard this phrase a thousand times, police are historians. They show up after the crime has already been committed. Yeah. They very, very rarely, I would say almost never prevent robberies, murders, rapes, etc. They show up after, they take a couple notes, they shrug their shoulders, "Well, we'll file a report and we'll see what we can do." It what are, what are you being taxed for? What service do they provide? They you're you're taxed to pay for the police who then rob you at gunpoint for not wearing a seatbelt or not using a turn signal, which none of them ever fucking do. Right. It's just you know that's 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 kind of where we're coming from and it's it's hard to sell conservatives on that because i think i think they generally get this idea of they kind of have like a widespread hero worship the military and police they see as like absolute heroes just by their job title but because of that they ignore the obvious and clear atrocities that are committed under those same banners
0: mm mm-hmm. yeah yeah, and you know you can. I mean, we can go through all the bullshit, like arguing a few bad apples. This that. I I just I get so mm-hmm. tired of looking at it. and I'm just like, what are, What are you people even talking about? I just shared. A, I just shared a, a article from the Free Thought Project yesterday that you know dozens of cops have been arrested in the last week for raping children, and these conservatives that are supposedly all against pedophilia. Will say nothing about that. They won't even address it. But it's like, what? I mean, has the has the police force turned into the Catholic Church? You know, like, is this just running had through a, the? We vein? had two
1: police officers here. We had two police officers here. It was a, a, a man and a woman police officer. They were they were trading child pornography between one another, and they were each, um, filming it with children they abducted and were trading it back and forth. And I'm fairly certain they both got put on paid administrative leave.
0: Yeah. And, you know.
1: Which is just, which is absurd to me.
0: And then, and then you'll point out to a conservative, you know, something so absurd. And they're like, well, you know, yeah, there are some, some of them are bad people. Okay. Well, then why do you worship all of them? (laughs) It's like, yeah, some of them are bad people. Why do you worship all of them? You know? Like, why is it so hard for you to, to separate, you know, the wheat from the chaff? If some of them actually want to be Andy Griffith, fine, you know, but I'm I'm still waiting to see the cop that is going around his community unarmed, getting to meet all the business owners, all the people that are on the street, getting to know these people personally, you know, I'm still waiting on that guy to, to appear in, in 2020. Because that's not what policing is anymore,
1: you know. So we need to maybe it's, it, it's revenue generation. Well, right,
0: and here's what that's, I worry—that's really what I was, it
1: comes down to—is revenue.
0: Here's a, here's where I'm concerned with the left. Left's point of view. Let's not just pick on conservatives here. Here's where I'm concerned. About on the left's point of view, they say, "Well, defund means quit overfunding. It doesn't mean actually defund. It means move the revenue from." buying them MRAPs and this, that, and the other, which I'm all for not buying them MRAPs. I get it. I, I'm, I'm right. all against them having MRAPs and all this this military equipment. I get it. But what they're saying is, we're not going to get rid of them altogether. Now, this isn't all the left. Some of the left is like abolished completely. I, I get that. But uh, some of the left mm-hmm. is like, we're not talking about defunding completely. You know, we're talking about defund in this broad modern-day Orwellian double-speak definition. And, <laughs> and so they, they draw out for you what defund actually means, which it's very similar. It almost seems like it's the almost the exact same definition as racist, if you ask me, but whatever. Um, it's just got this really broad scope. And you're like, well, yeah, okay, so you're you're talking about an uh, organization that is used to getting so much revenue each year to perform these tactics and to and and this this organization has the authority to extort and rob people at will. What makes you think they're going to extort and rob people less if you take their money from them? You know? So it's it's kind of like mm-hmm. this. It's kind of like you're not you're not like <laughs> seeing this through here. We're not on the same page yeah. at all. You're not thinking about, okay, what are they going to do to make up for that revenue? How much How much more is asset forfeiture going to go up? How much How much more asset forfeiture are we going to see? How many more no-knock raids are we going to see if you don't actually outlaw no-knock raids in this city? How many more traffic stops are we going to see? You know, in 99, I, I drive, yeah, and I'm on the road all the time, and 99% of the time I'm on the road, I don't see a cop. Very rarely do I see a cop out on the road, even though they're keeping the road safe. So how, how many more police officers are we going to see on the road as as compared to now? I'm sorry. Go ahead with what you were going to say.
1: No, yeah, I was, I was just going to say, and that's, that's the thing is that they, they, they can't see the forest for the trees. You know, they, get, they lock in on this one thing, and it's like this isn't a funding problem. This right. is a policing cultural problem, right. You know you can take away their big toys and their big guns, but do you think that the people that the, that the, that the cops that that murder people that beat people, that fucking plant drugs on people, do you think that less money is going to stop those people? Hmm. No taking away their shit is not going to stop what is ultimately a cultural problem. And again, this circles back to the fact that they are not our customers. We can't fire them if they don't do their job. Well, right. They are paid by us no matter what. And the ones that get fired are the ones that expose
0: them doing the wrong.
1: Yep. You know,
0: there was was that, there was that story uh, a couple of weeks ago, this female cop, uh, she, she was she was a black woman and she actually turned in uh her partner who was a white guy and and for for I think he was I think it was brutality, I, I could be wrong, but he had done something, I can't even remember exactly what it was. So she had filed a complaint, she got fired. It's like okay, yeah, only a few bad apples. It's not the culture at all. You know?
1: The culture Exactly. exactly. The, yeah, the, the the good the good cops are the ones that ultimately call out their fellow officers for corruption and uh, excessive force and things like that, and those are the ones that get cut first. Mm-hmm. Then you have the, the cops in the middle that may be decent people in general, right. but they don't report their, their their fellow quote brothers and sisters for corruption excessive force you know stealing stealing uh drugs from the evidence room and selling it on the streets they don't report it because they're like well i got to protect my own so it's like at best they are willfully ignorant of the things going around them and at worst they are willing participants so where are the good cops they're all fired
0: yeah or are going to be fired you know soon enough
1: or yeah, yeah or soon to be
0: fired right and and so it's it's one of those things uh, that you're looking at and you're like okay so we got this guy at, in the Mountain Vernon Police Department who's recorded a bunch of his fellow officers admitting to all these crimes, you know? And the DA ref- like listened to he he turned over the uh, not the district attorney what do you the attorney general. He turned over the recordings to the attorney mm-hmm. general. The attorney general just like, well, all right. And so he leaked them to the media, you know. And so what's going to happen to this guy? You know, he's getting now he's getting pointed out by his uh, by his chief of police as being a rat and this, that and the other during these debriefings. You know, so it's like, all right. So now this guy understands, like, yeah, you keep your mouth shut if he's not going to get fired in the process. You know, who knows what's going to end up happening to him. You know, but now he's, now he's in fear for his life, you know, and for what, because he called out the bad actors that have admittedly, you know, planted drugs and, and framed people for all these crimes. And, you know, he's going to, he's going to be punished for doing the right thing.
1: Basically. And, And that's the thing. There's no, there is no culture of accountability. There's a culture of deniability. And that's why that's why qualified immunity is 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 such a huge deal. And that's like the one silver lining to um, this whole situation with, you know, George Floyd kind of bringing this to the limelight is that a lot of people both left and right that I didn't think I would ever see talking about ending qualified immunity are talking about ending qualified immunity. And it's like, you know, we've been kind of (laughs) we've been kind of worried about this for a while now, but I'm just I'm glad to see it. Uh, you know, finally getting a little bit of traction
0: I because Matt that's really Welsh. that's really
1: step one.
0: I heard Matt Welch say the other day that he started writing about qualified immunity in 1971.
1: <sighs> Jesus,
0: you know, so it's not it's this isn't new, you know, this is something that's been around that that libertarians Absolutely. in general have been talking about.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I'm I'm relative I'm relatively new to the the liberty movement. I was basically. I was politically ignorant for most of my life. And then in 2016, I kind of fell into, I was a minarchist libertarian for about six weeks. And then I just was full anarchist.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I've, I've kind of told my story a few times before, but I had uh, always considered myself more of a conservatarian. I was like kind of a Glenn Beck fan there for uh, years. And I still listen to him every once in a while, you know, I mean, I, I'm able to kind of, you know, weed through the bullshit now that I have more knowledge. But it was uh, a Andrew Napolitano speech at the Mises Institute I had found on YouTube that it actually just converted me full anarchist. So
1: there is a yeah, it's amazing how that works. <laughs> yeah. It's like, hold on. You hey, find everybody. that one that one video or that one, like, article, and you're like, oh, shit, like, the glass shatters behind you. And you're just right. like, oh, my yeah. God, I have been wrong for so long. <laughs>
0: yeah. you break that glass ceiling. Mm. <laughs> is that, was that sexist? Am I not allowed to say that?
1: Um, well, I don't know.
0: <laughs> who knows? <laughs> All right, so uh, let's see what else is going on. Okay, so... Supreme Court turned down the uh, – w- refuses to look at qualified immunity cases, um, but we do have the legislation that Amash is introducing, and then Rand Paul mm-hmm. has introduced uh, legislation that ends no-knock raids, and the Democrats are fighting Again? <laughs> yeah. Well, the Democrats are fighting against him. They, they want – they only that... want to end no-knock raids for drug offenses. They don't want to end no-knock raids altogether. So – and 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 they're mad and they're pissed off that his legislation doesn't um make lynching a federal crime which I think is kind of a you know ridiculous Well is, uh, is 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 murder is murder not illegal? Right. Well, they want it to be a federal crime though. They want it all if if somebody's lynched, they want it to be taken up in federal court. But I mean, what the the peak of lynching but is But like like 18, like, like most things, what's the world. definition
1: of a lynching? right what's the definition of lynch what's lynch versus murder versus kill what how do you do, what's the, what's the specific definition that they would use to separate that and the answer is that there wouldn't be one it would be a vague term that they would use to make federal criminals out of you know just murderers right. like killing or, killing people is bad yeah. or i mean we know that but well, yeah okay, <laughs> there's so got no there's no, got to uh, be something for them to fight against <laughs>
0: Yeah, but what – all right, so if – let's just say there's a domestic dispute between uh, a white guy and his black girlfriend, right? And she and she punches him, and he grabs her by the neck. Now, is he a federal criminal for lynching? Like, is that considered lynching? I, I, don't, I don't know. Like, what, yeah, how, do you, how are we going to define
1: this? To, 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 yeah, it's a slippery slope. Yeah. And I hate that shit. <laughs> yeah.
0: But – but so like no, I just think it's weird too. Like I said, the, the the peak of lynching was 1890. You know, like is this really an issue that we're we're seeing r- regularly? I mean, are more people getting shot or lynched nowadays? I, I don't I don't understand why this suddenly has to be put on the books.
1: And really, can a, and can a can a shooting be a lynching? You know, it's like it's like a rectangle and a square. You know, a square can be a rectangle, but a rectangle can't be a square. can you can you kill someone with a gun and have it not be a lynching? but you can also kill someone with a gun and have it be a lynching. Like there's just, there's too many what ifs. And that's, that's why this legislation ultimately ends up going nowhere because of dumb shit like this, that they latch onto, And, you know, people blow it up into this whole thing. And it's like, you're ignoring the fact that the bill is trying to end no knock raids, which have claimed like at least four lives within the past like year. Right. So you're, you're worried because there's one specific thing that isn't in there that you want in there how about you draft that up as a separate bill but you focus on the one that's clearly a benefit for a net benefit for i hate to use the term society but majority of <laughs> the people best descriptor yeah
0: it's, yeah, it's, it's a yeah. net benefit for the majority of people like we can see how this yeah inter, these interactions affect individuals in their lives so uh, yeah well and also you gotta it's almost like they're trying to legislate virtue signaling you know, yeah, it, it, that's what it really feels like it's like it's like the white liberals haven't pandered to the black community enough. We have to show them that we have to take care of them and that we can take care of them. And I watched that. Um, I listened to an interview yesterday with with Thaddeus Russell and Hotep Jesus. And, you know, they talk about the mm-hmm. infla- infantilization of the black community by liberals. And that's what it is. They treat them like. Children. Oh, yeah. And it's like that. They're they're adults, man. They can take care of themselves. You know? like Yeah, they 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 have have a
1: white savior complex. Yes, yes. They have a white savior complex where they're like, oh, they need me as an ally to come in and save them. Yes. I can tell you right now, 99% of the people that are out there with their fucking black square profile pictures and they're sharing all these articles, memes and statistics and all that shit – an overwhelming majority of these people, many of whom, like many of my personal friends that are sharing this shit, I know that they are they are literally using the black community as a fucking – as a token, as a means of salvation from their own white guilt. Right. And like that to me is just – it's pathetic. Yes, I like, love
0: that meme you made – I guess that you made earlier about the Aunt Jemima uh, scandal. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes. Let's see who you really are. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah. I actually, I told you, I'd tell you the story. I'll say it. I'll, I'll do it on the podcast because it's funny. Um, I was in, I, I was, I was in Atlanta and I was picked up a load from our, uh, a terminal in Atlanta and I had to drop in the industrial area. And it was, uh, I had very little time left. I had just rolled in from, I think I just rolled in from, uh, North Carolina or whatever, but it's not important. Um, I, I go and I drop the load. And by the time I'm done, I only have like 30 minutes left on my clock. And this was before they Mm -hmm. added the uh, personal uh, drive time. So they didn't have the the personal drive time that you could do when you were empty. So I, uh, I, I'd seen this small truck stop when I was coming in to this industrial area. And this was a really kind of thuggish part of Atlanta to to say the least. Like there was all kinds of cops Mm -hmm. everywhere and, you know people hanging out the street corners it was it was pretty it was pretty shady and i was like whatever man i don't care I'm, i lived in houston for years i'm kind of like it's, it's cool i'll be all right so i go into the truck stop mm-hmm. and there's this dude hanging out there next to the uh next to the little slot machines they got the little uh you know quarter slot machines that you play like uh games on and shit and so he's sitting next to those mm-hmm. and he goes hey man I was like, yeah. He goes, and I'm tired as hell right, by this point, right? I had been driving for like 13 hours this day. Uh, he goes, hey, man, you cool? I was like, what the fuck you mean? He goes, you know what I mean? I was like, oh, shit. I was like, no, nah, man, I'm good, man. I'm going to go to bed. I'm just tired. I, dude, I've had a long, long day. And he was like, hi hey, man, you be easy. I was like, all right, that's cool, right? So I go sit outside. I go get in my truck, uh, you know, eat whatever snack like chips or whatever I got and then I lay down about 30 minutes after I lay down just as I'm falling asleep good man I hear the banging on my truck door I'm like what the fuck going on? I go and I look out there's this like white chick out there I'm like yeah what's up she goes y- you want a blowjob honey I'm like no man I'm just trying to go to sleep <laughs> she's like I'll put you to sleep I'm like no I'm good I promise I'm cool man and she's like alright <laughs> And I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. I lay back down. Thirty minutes later, I get another knock on my door. I'm like, what the fuck, dude? I I look out my <laughs> curtain. Another chick is a. It was a young black girl too, and she was really pretty actually. And I was like, I was like, what's up? And she goes, you you want to have a good time? I'm like, man, the only thing I want is to go to sleep. Could y'all please just let me be? And and then I look and you could see like. There's the fuel island, and I'm parked next to the fuel island near the dumpster, and up up next to the fuel island on the other side, there's a hill. And I look up there, and there's about seven girls sitting up under this tree, right? I'm like, oh, <laughs> Jesus, am I going to have to do this all fucking night? I'm like, all right. Well, oh, guys. man, I'm night is like, a living lot, Lizards,
1: man. <laughs> yeah, no shit,
0: man, but this wasn't even a lot. They only had like two parking spaces. This wasn't even a lot. Mm -hmm. This was just like this field next to this truck stop. that These (laughs) girls are hanging out in. It was like they came out of the trees and I'm like, whatever, (laughs) man. So I try to, I go lay back down and I get another knock on the door and I'm like, fuck. And I look out and there's this old heavy set black woman that, uh, that's wearing this, um, she's wearing a polo shirt, a blue polo shirt. And I see, I'm thinking, oh, maybe she works at the at the truck stop. So I roll down the window. I'm like, yes, ma'am, can I help you? Yeah, thinking that, you know, because of where I'm parked, because I'm near the dumpster, maybe she wants me to move or whatever. And she goes, yeah, baby, you want me to suck that dick? And I'm like, look here, Aunt Jemima, I'm trying to go to fucking bed. <laughs> You need to go home and see if your grandkids want a lollipop or something. Just leave me the fuck alone. (laughs) She she was like, fuck you, nigga. I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. She's screaming at the top of her lungs. And I'm like, man, this is not going to end well. I'm like, fuck it. I just rolled up my window. She's still out there yelling. I close my curtain. I go lay back down. I'm like, fuck this bitch, man. I'm just going to sleep. About five minutes later, wow, wow, wah, 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 motherfucker. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. And I open my window, and it's that dude from inside the store. <laughs> he goes, motherfucker, why are you talking to my hose like that? I said, look, brother, I told you. I drove 13 fucking hours today. I'm fucking tired. I got to be up at 2 o'clock in the morning to get on the fucking road. And these goddamn bitches will not leave me the fuck alone. He goes, all right, nigga, I tell you what. You got, a, you got a square? I was like, dude, I'll give you a fucking... I had a carton of cigarettes in my truck. I said, ah, dude, I'll give you a whole pack if these bitches leave me alone. He goes, don't worry. You ain't going to have no more problems out of these hoes. And he turns around he goes, what I tell you about messing with this motherfucker? <laughs>
1: Oh, Jesus.
0: I threw that motherfucker a pack of cigarettes. Ain't no lie. Ain't no lie. I wake up at 1.30 (laughs) in the fucking morning, and this motherfucker's getting loaded up into the back of a cop car. All his girls with him. Oh, Oh, my God. Oh, shit. But I tell you what. I went and slept at that truck stop several other times over the next couple of years. That motherfucker remembered me, and ain't no bitch ever fucked with my truck again.
1: (laughs) Oh God, that is amazing.
0: (laughs) It was funny as fuck, man.
1: (laughs) Oh shit.
0: So yeah, (laughs) yeah. You see some shit out on the road. I remember one time I'm at a flying, I'm at the Flying J in fucking Dallas, and uh, you see this chick, this lot lizard jumping this truck, right? And across the street there's this church. They left the Flying J and went parked at that church parking lot about five minutes later, you see cops roll up on that truck, and they roll up on the driver's side, and this chick jumps out the passenger side. And as the cops are banging on the side of the driver's side, she's, she's made her way down the side of the trailer, and she's peeking around that trailer. And as soon as that, that driver opens the, the truck door, he's, you see the cop talking to him, and I guess he's like, can I look inside your truck? And so the driver like lets him get up to look inside his truck. And as that as that cop's getting up there to look inside this truck, this chick takes off across the damn parking lot. Behind the church is hiding behind a tree. <laughs> the cop had no idea where that chick went. He was looking for her though. He was. Oh to my god! I was laughing. I was like, look at this bitch. <laughs> Really yeah, the transportation
1: up. industry, man. You see some shit.
0: She had her high heels in her hand running barefoot across that ga- gravel church parking lot. I was laughing. I was like, she wants to get away. Her feet are going to hurt tomorrow. Oh, my God. She's getting away tonight. Uh, yeah, you see some shit oh, out here, man. man. It's funny. but All right, man. Well, we've been going for a while, and I, I kind of
1: hijacked part
0: of your interview. Anything you want to? Anything you want
1: to? No, listen. I've had an absolute blast. All absolute right. blast.
0: Well, we'll do it again, especially once you get that next one out.
1: Certainly, certainly. All right. So,
0: yeah, plug plug away, man. Anything you got?
1: Yeah, um, look, uh, yeah, my book just came out. You can find it in the show notes for this uh, podcast episode, but you can also find me at just uh dot um, I'm also doing some graphic design work. So if you have a podcast, a Twitch stream or stuff like that, those are kind of my specialties. Reach out. You can find, uh, at my website, there's a graphic design tab. You can email me for a quote. Let's get talking and, you know, work with you and we'll get some killer artwork done.
0: Yeah. You did, um, you did Pete's, uh, artwork, didn't you? His newest one?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I did. Uh, yeah. I did, uh, Pete's, uh, podcast logo for free man beyond the wall. And uh, I have some other stuff in the pipeline that I can't necessarily talk about just yet, but uh, should be exciting.
0: That's all right, man. That's, that's good. And your wife—your uh, wife did the editing for your book.
1: Yeah, yeah. She she reads a shitload more than I do, so she understands like the the rules of of literature. You know, commas yeah. after somebody speaks, like right. dumb stuff. So she reads a ton. So I was like, "Do you want to be the editor?" She was like, "Absolutely."
0: Yeah. So is that something she's looking at doing, uh, pursuing further?
1: Yes. Yes. She's actually looking to do. um, She's looking to do like editing for like articles, essays, uh, other books, stuff like that. So, okay. Well, I might. Um, I, might get I think in touch she's. With you about I think that. she's in the planning phase. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she's in the planning phases of looking for you know where she's going to set up whether a website or a Facebook page and all that shit. Awesome. Once that's out, I'll making I'll make an announcement and yeah. make it from there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But Dude, anybody, yeah, thank anybody you so much for to... having me on.
0: Yeah, no doubt, man. But anybody needs editing done, you know, uh, we we got we got somebody trying to get off the ground. So let's see if we can't uh, get Absolutely. in touch with Ryan if if until his wife gets everything situated and you know whatever she can yeah, take man. on, we'll we'll try to help her grow grow her business as best we can. Absolutely. All right. Just hang on one second, man. I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you for one second afterwards. Sure thing. All right. All right, man. Well, that was Ryan Bunting. Check out his book, Project Manicore. I will make sure I put the links in the show notes, which I'm really bad about doing. I got to remember to do that. I'll I'll make myself a note to remember to note. And uh, I'm Tommy Salmons. Late.